Um, but in the time that we were there, of course, um, it was the first night um, that I got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and uh, found out that our dear sister Dee went home to be with the Lord. She got called home. And um, she'll be uh, dearly missed uh, by all of us here at Refuge. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's the tough thing. And, and this is what I, I tell, you know, many people that I uh, am in contact with as, as a chaplain for um, a couple local hospitals here. But, um, you know, is in these times that um, actually the Lord didn't, didn't uh, start it this way. This, this isn't what he had in mind, and that is, a, you know, that there would come death and, you know, and, you know we would have to experience this. He, what, he, um, what he set up was free will, you know, in the midst of perfection. And in that free will, sin came into the world, and through that sin that Adam committed, sin entered humanity. And with that sin came death. And, um, and, but that's, that's the reason why... Um, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason why he came. You know, not that we would have, you know, a good life filled with riches and, and uh, you know, blessings that just pour over on us. He didn't, he didn't come for that. He didn't come for that at all. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to offer a solution to the problem of sin in this life. And that's why for D... We can say without a shadow of a doubt, she is home. And no, no one will ever take her out of that place with the Lord. And, and that's why for everyone else, it's, it should be this, um, this understanding of, of even desperation um, for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, to not just be a light, but to speak the light, to tell others, hey, listen, there's a solution, there's, a, there's, a, there's salvation in Jesus Christ and no one, no one else. And um, so, you know, that's why it's so important. But we know with Dee, um, she's home with the Lord. Um, we've shed many tears. There's more to come. And we will, uh, we will, we will miss her here. Um, but for us, as Christians, it's not, it's not a goodbye. It, it's actually... Truly, genuinely, I will see you later. I, in, in life, the Bible says, is but a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. And the older you get, the more you realize that that is true. It's like, you know, I'm 48, and I think, where has the time gone? You know, I, I, how fast time just goes by, and you find yourself, um, you know, in a place to where, uh, you not only have kids, but you have grandkids. And like, how did that happen, you know? And so time flies. Time flies. But tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Uh, we're, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised even that we'll get to lay our heads down on our pillows this evening. That's why the time of salvation is, is now. The moment that you realize that sin separates you from the Father and the Son was sent to die in our place, and that belief in the Son of God. And repentance, you know, with that, repentance of, of sin and, and, uh, and understanding forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Uh, to come to know that is, is of greatest importance here on earth. Uh, because if we don't have that, we, we don't have anything. We have eternal separation from the Father.
And so I hope that more than ever before that, again, we're reminded of the fact that um, we, our lives here are temporary and, um, and we, we have salvation in Jesus Christ and we should tell others about it uh, just with more of an urgency, with more of an urgency. So um, I think those songs were very fitting. You read ahead, Mandy. That's the, the beauty of uh, going through the word the way we do. Um, Matthew six thirty three. You guys know that? What is Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, right? And so that's basically the theme of what we have before us. Uh, We also, in our our text, that is Deuteronomy chapter 8, you know, one of the things that the Lord really um, brings about in a strong way is for the Israelites to be humble and remain humble. Not just you know, be humble for the time being as you enter into the promised land, but continue to be humble. Just, that should be a constant um, because humility is what we need before the Lord. No, no pride, no arrogance, uh, none of that, but just a simple humility before him, uh, uh, um, a heart of uh, surrender, of submission, of trusting, of just uh, needing him. So let's... Um, Let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 is, is what we're in. Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord, this time of study. I pray that, Lord, by your spirit, you would give us understanding, Father. And, Lord, as always, we, as we study your word and, and we come to know it, I pray, Father, that we all also would give application to it, that we would apply it to our own lives, that we would uh, more closely resemble Uh, Jesus Christ, and we would glorify you. And so, Father, I pray that for all of us here, uh, that you would help us, Father, to humble ourselves before you, to acknowledge you in all things, that all good things come from you, and to rejoice in that, to celebrate, and uh, and know that um, we're not doing it in our own power, we're not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, Father, but each and everything that is good we should acknowledge you and remain humble before you. You said that to the Israelites. You commanded them to walk um, upright before you, following your commandments, and to be humble. And I pray, Lord, that that would be exactly what we walk out in our own lives. We thank you, Father, and we commit this evening into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So be humble and remain humble. Uh, People... Unfortunately, as we talk about humility, um, there's also the opposite of humility, and that is pride. And for some reason, people will find a way to be prideful about anything and everything, including humility. You know, uh, it's like as soon as the person says, you know, I, I know that I am a humble person, you know, that even goes out the door, you know. You can find a way to ruin it all. Now, pride is, here's, here's an AKA, also known as. It gives us a better understanding of really what pride is. It, it's also known as self-esteem. Have you heard of books about self-esteem, self-respect maybe? Self-love, self-worth, self-regard, pride in oneself, self-importance. But then we get into the words where we can um, 
we, we know they're, they're very similar. There's arrogance, there's conceitedness, there's self-admiration, there's egotism, there's haughtiness, self-important, and even narcissism. All of those things. But the first few words that I chose, those, those um, are, are very similar, and we find them in our everyday conversations. Uh, things that people say. You know, you need more self-esteem. You need to know that you are of utmost importance, you know, that so on and so on. But that all is part of pride. Humility, on the, on the other hand, is also known as respectful, submissive, unassuming, self-deprecating, subdued, lowly, modest, simple, unpretentious, in one other word, meek. In Matthew 5.5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What this means is that no matter what the world says about the meek, how they are weak and worthless and how we have to lift ourselves up and make sure people know what we are worth by telling them and so on and so on and so on, the meek by... God's word, according to God's word, will always be about in the world. They will always exist, is what Matthew 5, 5 tells us. And they shall have a significant impact, especially to the glory of God. But the prideful, on the other hand, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This evening, we see how God will warn the Israelites against pride. To remain, to remain humble and know what the Lord has done for them. To remember those things that he has done for them and how he has sustained them and will sustain them. And how he's faithful and trustworthy. And they can depend on him wholly. This evening we see how God's humbling work in the lives of the Israelites is the same humbling work that God desires to do in our lives today. That he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. He calls on the Israelites to remember their whole journey in the wilderness. That they may know what was in their heart is what we'll see, just as with us today. That we may know what is in our hearts. The Lord humbles us, and it is for our own good to do us good in the end. God desires that the Israelites would succeed, excel, and possess well the land that he has promised to them. And God desires that we, his children today, would succeed, excel, and possess well the lives that he has entrusted to us to live life to his glory and according to his word. So let's start at De in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, where as the Lord continues to speak to the children of Israel, Moses is basically passing along this very word so that they would be prepared to enter the promised land. So verse 1, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, 
that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. We'll stop there. This initially is, is a consideration for the wilderness time. This is something that they were to re, be re, reminded of and, re, and remind themselves of that time and how God sustained them and brought them through. But number one, the result of observing or keeping God's commandments is to do them to do them is to live in God's gracious abundance when going into and possessing the promised land. This is what God desires for his people, and he's telling them exactly how it is that they could make this a reality, how they are to walk it out in their own lives as they go into the promised land. And God tells them to carefully do what he's commanding them to do, not just to know it. It's like, okay, so I've memorized the Ten Commandments, and, and I, the law and the prophet, well, you know, the law at this point, right? It, we, we got it all down. We understand it. No, the Lord says, be careful to do all that I have commanded you to do. If you do this, you will truly live. You will multiply. You will enter in successfully as I bring you in. And you will take full possession of the promised land. Secondly, he tells them, consider the lessons of the wilderness. Well, what's the main lesson of the wilderness? Before the Lord, it's humility. It's having humility. God wants the Israelites to remember, not dwell on. We don't dwell in the past. We can remember the past, and we need to remember the lessons of the past. But the past is not something that we should remain in as far as dwelling on the past. And so he tells them, listen, it would do you well to remember the wilderness. But make sure that you consider rightly that which you have experienced and know the reasons why you have experienced what you've experienced. Because there's a reason to it all. And it serves you today and tomorrow. God has a way of bringing everything about in such a way in our lives today that it serves us to be better for it. We can comfort others with the same comfort that we've been comforted with by God. And we pass it along. Consider the way, he says, in which the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Consider humility. Here are things done and allowed for the sake of humility to consider whether it exists or not and then to respond accordingly. Is it a reality? Is it a fact? Is it something that actually took place? Yes. Consider why it took place. Realize why the previous generation is not entering into the promised land. And really it was for the reason of, of pride, of going against the Lord, of going against Moses, and they were just always whining, complaining, and, and how is it that the past would serve them? As they look back to, toward Egypt, remember how it is that they would talk about Egypt from time to time, they would complain, and, and all of a sudden it was like they, all they had in Egypt were barbecues and everything was provided for them, and it was just a great old time. It's like, well, your memory deceives you, right? But God says, consider how I have led you, Israel. All of these years, Humility is also known as, I just want to go through it one more time, respectful, right? Submissive, 
Think about this. This was the lesson of the past to be applied today. Toward the Lord, this is the, this is the position that we are to take. This is the position that the Lord is calling them to take. A, a position of being honoring, uh, revering Him, being submissive toward Him, being unassuming, self-deprecating, subdued, lowly, modest, simple, unpretentious, and meek. Why? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. It's, it's a, he's a perfect ruler, a perfect king, uh, a perfect lord, a perfect God. Now, the earth's kings, yeah, when we apply this to earthly kingship, um, they'll let us down. And uh, it, so when we think about that, we're like, well, you know, um, it's kind of tough to serve in that way. Yeah. A king here on earth, some kind of a leader here on earth, they'll always, at some point, let you down. Why? Because we're not perfect. No man is perfect, right? But God is perfect. And so when he says this, when he says, give me honor, I am hopefully due the worth to praise and honor me, you're doing so without should be without any reservations whatsoever, knowing that his, his kingship in our lives, his leading is absolutely perfect. Now, if this is not what, it, what was in your heart, and instead prideful characteristics are coming to the surface, then the question is, what are we to do? Right? Because what this all was leading to is a revelation of what's in our heart. God knew. They didn't know. This is what we need to understand. God knew their hearts, but they didn't know their hearts. Many times we don't know our own hearts. God has to lead us and test us in certain ways for that to come to the surface. And then we acknowledge that. What, what were they to do? Uh, do you not sorrow toward God for sinning? Hopefully we do. And if we do sorrow, then we do as King David did when it was brought to his attention. Repent. Ask for forgiveness, and then walk obediently and humbly before God, observing his commandments. The <clears throat> test results, <clears throat> excuse me, are to serve the person. To know what was in their heart, that's what they were to conclude with. As we go through verse 2 again. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the, in the wilderness, that he might humble you. And he says, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. These test results weren't so that you would reveal, so that they would reveal to the Lord. And today that we would reveal to the Lord, uh, well, I just want you to know through the test, I reveal to you that I'm either genuine or I'm not, whether I'd follow your commandments or not. He already knows our hearts. Again, it's to serve us, to help us understand where we are. This was, uh, this, this testing and the results of that test would determine whether God's commandments would be observed or not. We think too highly of ourselves most of the time. Don't we? We do. And we need correction from this or humiliation to sober up and to think clearly, to think rightly. Humiliation is not a bad thing. It really isn't. It doesn't feel all that great. 
But it's actually a good thing. Um, with all meekness, we should receive something which can serve us as being a corrective work that the Lord has allowed. But that's tough. I have to admit, that is absolutely tough, isn't it? When we get tested that way. The lesson in the wilderness was humility. And the following is the way God humbled the Israelites. Verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Let's stop for a moment there. This was the way in which he humbled them. Number one, who did the humbling? God did the humbling. Secondly, how did he do the humbling? Well, by letting the people know hunger. Uh, that's tough. You know, as, as they went out, now, we're doing the Lord's will. He delivered us from Egypt, from under Pharaoh's hand, from the house of slavery. He's delivered us. Now we are in the middle of the wilderness, and we have nothing to eat. I thought this was the Lord's will. Here I am in the middle of a place where I wasn't, led by the Lord, delivered by Him, and I'm experiencing some extreme want and need. I am absolutely hungry. And this was the Lord's will. Because it was in that that God provided for them. He provided something called manna. And um, manna translated, do you guys know what manna actually means? It's, it's actually kind of funny. You know what? What, what is this? So if you're like, manna, you're like, exactly. I don't know what it is either. What is this? Right? But it was bread that was provided for the Israelites from heaven. And it was provided for them every day. And he told them that to only, only gather so much. And it was for that day. It was to be eaten entirely in that day and not left for the next day. Or else it would rot and it would smell and it would go bad. It, would just, it was just for that day. And then the next day he would provide and provide and provide. And, and that's the way it was. And he did this for them. So that they would depend on. On him, learn to depend on him. It's a good place to be. You know, sometimes we we think, you know, especially as young people, you know, uh, I remember thinking, man, I, I I really want it all like right now. I, I want everything like right now. It'd be good to inherit everything. You know, a house, maybe two, um, a, a car, maybe a couple cars. You know, and and so on and so forth. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing to learn how to really depend on the Lord. And, and that's many times how he allows, you know, what he allows in our lives to learn to do that, to cling to him, to look to him, to trust him, to certainly provide for us just as he said he would. 
what do you do when you don't have and then when someone depend, uh, someone provides kind of like w- with a child right you depend on them just as a baby or a child depends on their parents to feed them so in that same way we are to depend on the provision of the lord more on this to come because as he provides there's also a stewardship in that that we are accountable for but this was a lesson of dependency that was meant to serve them in not only in the, in the wilderness, but also working up and into the promised land. So God was testing them so that they would know what was in their heart. He tested them that they may know that he can be trusted and depended upon and that he will come through and take care of their needs because he promised he would, because he said he would. It's, like it's, it's also a lesson. This is what I spoke. This is what I said. It will come to fruition perfectly the way I said The lesson was that they were to learn how to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse 3, in the middle of it, he says, That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. They were hungry. God fed them with food they knew nothing about. They couldn't explain it except that God provided it every day. They needed clothing. God sustained their clothes throughout the whole 40 years. They didn't wear out. Can you imagine that? Clothes didn't wear out. Their chanclas were good. I mean, after 40 years, they didn't need an extra pair. That's sandals. And they were good. And he's saying, I sustained your clothing. I I." kept your shoes from falling apart? All of these things. I provided the food for you, the water from the rock. All of these things were God's provisions. And thirdly, as I said, God's provision was according to his word. As he spoke, so it was. And his discipline is perfectly fitted to help the person stand upright before him and know his blessings. And what is he saying with all of this? He's saying that true living is living by and according to the word of God. That's true living. Some people are looking for true living uh, from jumping out of airplanes or uh, going down the backside of a mountain on a snowboard or, you know, doing all kinds of things. And what he's telling him, you want to know true living. You You want to know what it means to be fulfilled and content in this life. It's living by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. That's true living. That's to know integrity and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment. It, it, it's all, it, it can all be found in the Lord. And it's full trust in simply following it because it's true and will surely come to pass. Sure, bread will sustain this these physical bodies, right? But the bread of life will be our increase spiritually and we will live with a clear conscience, spiritual integrity and know life walking in the spirit uprightly before God. This is what God desired for the Israelites and this is, by the way, what God desires for us today. Today, for Christians, I see too many who are starving, malnourished, and simply thinking that they can live spiritually by nibbling on scraps every now and then. You know, 
sometimes, unfortunately, um, it's hard to even ask, so where are you in the word? You know, what, what, how is the Lord speaking to you? Like, what, what book are you in? And, and how is it? What's he doing, you know? Oh, you know. And I, and I love, and you guys have heard me before. I, I like commentaries. They're fine. They have their place. But they do not replace the word of God. We shouldn't rely on any man or woman to give us direction. The Holy Spirit, Spirit will give us direction as we study the Word of God, as we read through. He is our tutor. He is the one who comes alongside and he helps us understand the Word of God. We shouldn't be malnourished Christians, um, just sickly. We should be well-fed Christians who are reading the Word daily and taking in. Sometimes, uh, you know, to sit down and you're like, well, I don't want to stop. I want to just keep going. Like I'm going through the Old Testament and I'm going through Second Chronicles. I'm like, well, I'm, I need to keep going because this king leads into the next king and this king wasn't too good and this one was. And so I, I, I want to know. I want to see how it turns out and keep going and see how the Lord is working in their lives because it reflects how he lives and desires for us to live in him. We should really be starving for the word of God, hungering for the word of God. Because if you try doing what we do with the Bible, with food, you'll quickly find out that you cannot survive that way for too long. Go days and even weeks without food and you'll grow weak, be susceptible to illness, and eventually die if you continue this practice. Again, verse 3, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, that we may crave God's word even more than food itself. Job twenty three twelve says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Psalm one nineteen seventy two says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What would you trade for the word of God? Nothing. God explained that he humbled, he disciplined his people because he loves them. Just as a man disciplines his children because he loves them. They were to know and understand this very well. How were they to respond? Well, obedience to the word of God, keeping the commandments, walking in his ways, to revere him above all else. To, that is to fear the Lord, knowing that you, they, the Israelites, and us today can depend on God completely and knowing that he is trustworthy. Let's continue verse 7 because this is where he describes this land that he is promising to them. Verse 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Wow, what a description, right? This is the promised land that you're going into, that I'm bringing you into. This is it right here. 
by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, then they would be blessed in the land the Lord is bringing them into. And this is what it'll be like. And he lays it all out. Remember that he had just reminded them of his faithfulness. Like trusting in his word, knowing that every word that proceeds out of his mouth is true and it'll come to pass. How he's trustworthy. And now he describes this land to them. And they could count on his word. Again, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So first he was saying, keep my commandments. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then the blessings will be theirs. They're going to be yours. God desires to bless his people. But our first priority should be him. Not us. There's no amount of material goods we can accumulate or possess that should take first priority. Not the ease of life or comfort of life. That, that shouldn't take first priority ever in our lives. It should be just the glory of God. If we broke life down into those two things, like let's say, for instance, it's, it's us and you, Lord, and Lord, first it's you and then it's me. No matter where I'm at, as the Apostle Paul said, I, I am content. I'm okay. Um, to experience um, hunger, I'm still content in the Lord. Um, if I experience abundance, uh, I'm still content in the Lord. This has made no difference to me. The glory of God, that's it in everything. It changes, it changes things because your attitude will be different. Because in any circumstance, you will simply seek the glory of God above all else. Above all, we are to desire Him and His glory in our lives, to live for Him and His good pleasure, in obedience to His word and in fellowship with His people, together living in unity in Christ, worshiping Him. But as God blesses them, he was warning them. They need to be careful not to forget the Lord their God is what he's going to be telling them. To be filled with pride and arrogance and go after, even go after, imagine this, go after other gods. Verse 11, as we continue, he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware of forgetting the Lord. Beware of having this even self-admiration. It's interesting how a person can go from humility when in need to being self-admiring and full of pride when living in abundance or success or you know, reaching the pinnacle of whatever. It's not always the case. 
But in many instances, it is the case and it happens. There are those exceptions. You know, a person in need isn't always humble either. You know, there are those in need and they still find a way to be extremely prideful, full of themselves. They accept no help from anyone else and um, they even make it to be something it's not. Uh, On the other hand, I also know people who are not in need of anything financially or materially and, and are very humble. Not flashy, not braggadocious, you know, just... You, you, would, you would never know. You would think, man, I, I know a lot of people who are very wealthy and, uh, and you're nothing like them. You know, that's, that's cool when you come across someone like that to where they have everything and yet they're, as we say, down to earth and very loving and hospitable and, and uh, you know, they value others even more than themselves. God... was very concerned, you could say, in the perfect way, over this very thing, about the the thing that they would be tempted of. And he tells us in the word, hey, listen, warning, this is like a big sign on the side of the road, warning, curve ahead, cliffs, maintain your place in the lane. Because you could find yourself up and over very quickly just like that. God is very gracious with us when it comes to these things. It's not like we don't know. It, it, cuts, it, it catches us off guard. It's like, oh, we get to that point where we're like, oh, man, I wish God would have told me. Like, no, he, he tells us. And then he tells us again. And then he tells us again. And then he gives us examples of how it is that Men have failed in the past and how it is that he's gracious and if we repent and ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive us and he'll bring us forward and embrace us and in all of that. But he gives us ample warning. He says, don't forget the Lord your God when you're being blessed, when you have abundance. How can our hearts be lifted up? Well, with pride. Satan said he could be like God. That was Pride. Pride filled his heart just as our hearts can be filled with pride and we begin to think that everything we have is by our own doing. And in our own effort and power, we've achieved these things and then fail to recognize the Lord in our lives. It's just every little thing that comes our way that's good, it'd be good to acknowledge the Lord. Oh, God, that's good. Oh, thank you, Lord. This is by your grace. This is you. And God was warning them how this could easily happen to them. He's saying, stay on guard. Stay on guard. I'm about to bring, I just described it to you. But stay on guard. Because all of that could be tempting and you could be filled with pride and your hearts could be lifted up. Beware. Verse 17, he says, Beware of this. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Beware. Self-made. 
There's someone who has a tattoo. I, I'm sure other people have this tattoo. But, uh, but I have a friend of mine that I know um, that has self-made tattooed on him. And, uh, and I pray for him. I, I pray for his salvation. I've, I've had several opportunities to tell him about the good news. And, and uh, I pray that those seeds get watered, you know, and he comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But self-made. I know it's a very popular saying in the world. When someone has been uh, very successful financially, uh, very successful in their career, and has, quote-unquote, made it, they will be talked about as being a self-made man or a self-made woman with great successes, and then they'll be asked how, how they did it, and then they'll be on TED Talks and all kinds of things, you know. Um, Lauded as just having made it, right? Um, and God is telling the Israelites, don't forget who gives you the power to get wealth. Don't forget that. If you have wealth, don't forget who gave you the ability to get wealth. Solomon, he was favored and there's, there's no one that's been more wealthy than he has or ever, ever will be. His wealth came, his power to get wealth, and, and everything came from the Lord. In the receiving of blessings, he, God, is simply making good on his promises that he swore to their fathers. And he's telling them, hey, listen. He's telling them, don't, it's not... It's not because you're so special or you're so good and you're, you know, you're, you're all that, okay? It's because my word that I made, this promise that, that I gave to your forefathers, your fathers, I'm making good on it. I'm bringing you into this land. God was telling him, don't think more of yourselves than you should. You're receiving because I promise and I make good on my promises perfectly. It's not because we are so good and deserving, but because he is good, faithful, and serving. By his grace, we receive his good gifts. It just changes everything in life. We live with thankful hearts. When they receive God's blessing, they are to celebrate and acknowledge that all good gifts come from above, from the Father of lights. And I believe it would do us absolutely more good today to celebrate more what God does in our lives. To say, you know what? This is, this is awesome. You should do it with, with your families. As, as God provides, as God does, do, does certain things in your lives, say, you know, let's celebrate. Let's praise God and give him thanks for what we have, what he did here, what he did over here. They're called praise reports. And we thank him for those things acknowledge him and thank him and to point his accomplishments in us back to him. It's his faithfulness. It's his blessings. And then lastly, these two verses, 19 and 20, says, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, 
so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Another of God's warnings. Don't fall into the temptation of going after the false gods of the world. The way that the world says are the ways to gain true success. The golden calf. This just wasn't a one-time deal for the Israelites. Keep reading. Keep reading. And you'll see that this golden calf actually comes up again and again. It's like, what's going on here? It's like the golden calf keeps, like, you guys keep throwing gold into the fire and just a golden calf comes up, right? That's, that's what, who, who said that? Aaron said that, right? No, this, they're, they're worshiping a false god. The Baals, they're, they're worshiping this, these false gods. It was an issue for them. But God was warning them. One last warning. If they choose other gods, they will perish just like the other nations that seek after them and deny the Lord their God. There can be this false belief that a Christian can almost live a double life. You know? I am secure in my salvation in Christ and therefore I can live like the world and still know that heaven awaits me. Like, what? It's like, you know, that saying, you know, you have fire insurance. You know, I, I prayed the prayer and I went forward and now I have fire insurance and I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. But you live like anyone else in the world. That's not the way it ought to be. Now, the children of Israel, did they at any point stop being the children of Israel? Did they at any point stop being the children of God? No, right? Even as they perished, they, they, they were going down that path of destruction. And, and the Lord warned them, this would be your consequence if you continue going down this path, if you go to worship the gods of the world, which are false. This is what you're going to be met with. No, they didn't stop being God's chosen people. Today, the Christian, unfortunately, deals with the consequences of sin, of living a double life, of thinking that, that they can both serve God, maybe by word alone, and then serve other gods of the world in action and still be okay. That's not the case. We deal with the consequences. There should not, not be a, a, a double life that's lived by Christians. We should li live purely and wholly for God and no one else and for nothing else. So, of course, that isn't how it works as far as going after the gods of the world. We're not saved to live like the world and feel secure in our eternal status. In Christ, we are set apart for him and for his good pleasure. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's how we demonstrate to him that we, that we love him, by knowing his commandments and then desiring to follow the commandments so that we would please him and, and we would honor him, being set apart unto him. In this world, we're separate from the world and unto him. That's, we are, that's the way in which we are to live. So in closing, 
Remember God's faithfulness. Live in obedience to his word. In blessings, rejoice in his grace. Give him all the glory and worship no other God. Those are the instructions that he was giving the Israelites and those are still the instructions that he is giving us, uh, giving us today to live that abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life in that more abundantly, to know that life today, to have a, a, a peace of mind and a, and a stillness in our heart that before him we're living uprightly, holy for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we have come across the, these words of yours in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that as you were giving instructions to the Israelites, so you give us today. Your word is alive and active and sharper than two, a two-edged sword. It, it, it's able to pierce the core of our lives, to dig deep and Lord, if there's anything that's revealed that's not of you, Lord, we are simply to repent of those things. Your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you give us ample warnings in your word. And I pray, Lord, that with those warnings, we would heed them because you desire that we not live those consequences and be disciplined and we find ourselves in judgment. But Lord, that we would walk in your blessings, Lord, and just a, a peace, that peace which surpasses all understanding. No matter what we're going through, Lord, we are, we are content because ultimately our, our greatest prize is you and we possess you and you possess us. And, and so, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to be those people who desire above all to bless and glorify you in all that we say, all that we are, in all that we do. We thank you, Father, for loving us the way you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.